questions when I was growing up. But uh, questions help us gain knowledge and information and, and, and um, sometimes can keep us out of trouble, sometimes can get us in trouble. Uh, so it depends on what you do with the question, what you do with the answer. In the Gospel of Matthew, in, in chapter 27, you have the situation where Jesus has been betrayed uh, in, in the opening part of that chapter. Judas uh, exhibits his remorse and he gives back, he throws back the coins that he had been given to betray Jesus. And uh, the scriptures say that he went on and, and out from that place and he hung himself. Uh, Jesus comes before. In fact, he's been passed back and forth from one official to another all through the evening, and he finds himself back in front of Pilate. And Pilate uh, is troubled about this. Pilate is the, the ruler for the, the Roman uh, government there. And he gets a, a message in, in the midst of all this is going on. He's before with Jesus, before the, the crowd, and and his wife said, I, I was troubled greatly by this man in a dream. Have nothing to do with him. And Jesus, or Judas, uh, Pilate, I'll get my, get it right in a second. Pilate goes back to the crowd and it was the custom during that time to release a prisoner. And he offers up one of the most vile prisoners that there was incarcerated at the time, a man named Barabbas. And the religion leaders incited the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be crucified. And then he comes to a question. Well, if that's the case, which of the two do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. In verse 22, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all answered, they all screamed, crucify that crowd screamed uh, in an antagonistic way for Jesus that day. Just a few days before when he made his entrance into the city, they screamed, uh, Alleluia, Hallelujah, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They thought Jesus was coming to, to inaugurate a, a new kingdom, to throw out the Romans, to set up a new kingdom, and, and they, were, they were really looking forward to that. But let's come back to Pilate's question. What shall I do with Jesus? It's just a simple question. Just a few simple words. But I would submit to you that that question rings through all of eternity until the time that Jesus comes back from that moment till now and until he comes back. That question stands in, in, in eternity. It rings out. It, it calls out for an answer to be given and it applies to every individual. None of us can, can come to the point where we can say, well, that question doesn't apply to me. For it stands in front of us and it demands that we make a decision. We do something with this man called the Christ. And people answer it in different ways. Matter of fact, one of the people in, in, the, uh, in, in the company of the disciples answered it one way. Judas is was one of manipulation. You know what, what it's like when somebody tries to manipulate a situation or manipulate a person to get their own desires and, or their own needs met. 
Well, Judas is something of a, of a mystery. I mean, what we know about Judas from our vantage point, we wonder why in the world did Jesus choose Judas? Did he have a momentary lapse? Was he just having a a, a bad moment and he chose Judas to be a part of 12? Maybe Jesus saw in Judas something of that same uh, uh, tenacity or, or personality that he saw in, 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 in Peter or, or Andrew or some of the other disciples. Ultimately, it's just going to be one of those questions. We're going to have to ask him when we get there. But what do we know about Judas? Well, we know that Jesus called him to be a part of the twelve. We know that, well, Judas was there when Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. And when he sent out the seventy two by two, and they returned and they marveled that even the demons, uh, uh, they had authority over the demons at, at that point, and they were astounded. Judas was a part of that. Judas was there. When Jesus took the, the, the five loaves and, and the two fish and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and they fed 5,000 men plus women and children. You know, it, it's a wonderful miracle at 5,000, but if you assume every, every man was married, and this is a little bit of a of a, of a stretch, but every man was married, so that's 10,000 people. And then they had at least one or two children with them, perhaps. So, I mean, it's not un- unreasonable to think there may have been 15,000 people that were fed with those loaves and that, and that fish. And Judas was there. He saw that. <coughs> Judas was there when they got the word that Lazarus was dead. And they made their way to the tomb of Lazarus after a couple of days. And Judas was there when he heard Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth. See, Judas... But the Bible tells us something about Judas too, that Judas was the bookkeeper. He was the treasurer for the group. He kept the money bag. And the Gospel writer says that Judas used to pilfer from the money bag. He he would take that which was meant for everybody else and use it for himself. So what we know about Judas leads us to to perhaps a a conclusion something like this. Judas saw in Jesus a means to an end. And if Jesus was going to set up a new kingdom, he needed somebody in charge of the treasury. And who better than me? I'm, perhaps Judas would say, I'm tired of pilfering this little bitty money bag. Just think what I could do when I have the whole kingdom treasury. And Judas answered the question, I'll use him for my own ends. Maybe you know folks like that. Maybe you've encountered people who, who, who walked the walk, who talked the talk, or apparently did, because it was good for business in a small town. It's good to be in church on Sunday morning, regardless of what you did on Saturday night, because that's where the local folks expect to be. And people try to manipulate the gospel and manipulate Jesus for their own end. 
Judas would say, I tried to manipulate him for selfish reasons. And that's one answer. There's another answer, and again, we come back to one of the characters and one of the figures in this story right here uh, in, in verse twenty, chapter 27, and that's the man Pilate. Pilate, what, if we know a little bit about Judas, we know a little bit less about Pilate, but we do know some other things from, the, from outside the biblical record. The Jewish historian Josephus said that, that Pilate was a hard man. He was a brutal man. And it was nothing for him to send a detachment of soldiers against a village for some trivial reason and slaughter the entire village. Pilate had a, a, a death grip, if you will, upon his position as, as, as the governor or the proconsul, whatever there in, in Jerusalem. And he was going to hold that and let nobody take him out, out of his place and let nobody disrupt the peace. So, Pilate was attempting to keep the peace when he offered one named Barabbas in, in place of Jesus. In ruling with an iron fist, he was indifferent generally to the customs of those who, who lived in the country, except how he could use those for his, his own ends. Pilate was with Jesus before that throng of humanity in the courtyard. And again, he had received a caution from his wife. Don't have anything to do with this guy. I'm telling you, this is bad news. He tried several times to release Jesus, knowing that he himself was innocent. But instead of acting justly, he acted indifferently. And you know what the, the Bible, the biblical record says? That, that Judas went over to the side and he took a basin of water and symbolically he washed his hands and saying, not my problem. Not for me. Incidentally, history says that Judas went forever, uh, Pilate went forevermore after that day wringing his hands. Could have done the right thing, but he didn't. But he said, it's not my problem. You know anybody like that? You know anybody that says, this thing about Christianity, well, that's good for you, but, but that's not for me. And that's the same thing as saying it's indifferent. Pilate is saying, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And there's a world of folks today who say, I don't want to have anything to do with this thing called Christianity. I'm living my own life. I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing it my own way. And, and that's fine for you, but that's not for me. But that's not true. For the question still remains. What will you do with Jesus? It's a question that demands an answer. Pilate says it's not my responsibility. Indifference. There's another response from the biblical text. And you need to go over to Acts chapter 26. And while you're turning, you remember that Herod the Great was the king in, in the, of Judah whenever Jesus was born? And he's the one that issued the, the proclamation that all the male infants three years of age and under should be killed. Well, when we come to Acts chapter 26, we find his 
was a tetrarch over another province in, in the area. And Paul, this is several years later now. Jesus has died. He's been, he's been crucified. He's been resurrected. And uh, uh, the gospel is spreading throughout the world. Paul has made his way to some, to, uh, to Damascus. He had that Damascus Road experience where, where as Saul, he met the risen Christ and he blinded him and, and, uh, you know, all of that story. And, and Ananias came and the scales fell off his eyes. Well, this is years after that. Paul is now getting closer to the, to the end. He's older. He's going to get close to the end of his life here, but he's been accused of something that he did not do. He was accused, uh, of, of breaking the law. And Paul, as a Roman citizen, appealed to Caesar, which was his right. So they sent him from Jerusalem through the country and on his way to Rome where he would have his hearing before Caesar. And on his way, he encounters the Tetrarch, Herod And Herod Agrippa has heard about this man called Paul. And he asked Paul to come, and he talks to him. He says, Paul, let me hear from you. And Paul tells him his story. He gives him his testimony of how he once persecuted the church, and yet came, fronted him, convicted him, saved him, gave him a new title, gave him a new purpose, gave him a new name, how he had been convicted, and he's appealed to Caesar. And Herod looks at Paul in chapter 26, Excuse me, chapter, uh, yeah, 26. And he says this. Almost. Almost. It's been said that the distance between knowing and being saved is about this far. It's one thing to know truth. It's another thing to invest life in truth. And Herod Agrippa said, Paul, almost. I know what you say is true, but I'm having a hard time believing it myself. Or I'm almost there. Almost there. You ever thought about how infatuated our society is with almost? Man. I almost had an accident. Or I almost saw that accident. Did you say? No, but I almost did. Well, what does that mean? Nothing. Not a thing. Doesn't give us any special privilege or knowledge or, or standing. It's just an excitement, but there's no validity to it. It's kind of like the, the commercials you hear now. Somebody says, well, so-and-so and such-and-such such happened. They said, well, are you a doctor? No, but I slept at a hospital inn last night. Well, that's similar. Uh, almost, but not quite. And there are so many people you know of. You can talk to them about the Lord. You can share the gospel with them. And they'll, and they'll know that, that that's a decision they need to make. And they'll do something like this. They'll say, well, you know, I'll do that tomorrow. Or, or later. I've, I've got too much left to do. Too much I want to do. I got too much fun before I give up and start living that stuffed shirt life. <laughs> Almost. And I call Herod's response horseshoes and hand grenades because that's 
people of that almost can't is in horseshoes and hand grenades. You don't have to get hurt by it, I'm told. You don't have to have a ringer to score points. Almost. Are you at almost? Almost a believer. Almost a citizen of heaven. But not quite. Let me let me remind you. Good people answer this question poorly. Good people say, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. Almost. Good people will say, you know, they're good-hearted otherwise, but they'll, they'll use Jesus to manipulate for their own ends. Or they'll, good people will be indifferent. Well, he'd give you the shirt off his back. Well, it may be true, but that doesn't make him a believer. That doesn't mean when he stands at the judgment seat of God and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? He said, well, I almost believe I was a good person. I gave, I gave a lot of shirts off my back to people who needed it. That's not the answer. Well, what is the answer to the question? Let's look back in Acts again. Let's go chapter 16. In chapter 16, you, you'll find at the beginning of that chapter, Paul had the Macedonian vision where he's, he, he sees a man from Macedonia in a dream and says, come over to here. Come on. Paul was planning on going in an entirely different direction. And in the dream, the man said, come here. And the gospel came into Europe, into Macedonia for the first time. And because of that, we know for sure that you and I have had the opportunity to hear the gospel. Because the gospel changed at that point. Well, the message didn't, but the advance of it did. And Paul Silas come to a city called Philippi. And as they're going about the city, the, the thing that gets them in the biggest trouble is there was a young lady there who had an evil spirit in her who that was allowed her to, to, to tell fortunes. And she was a slave girl. And her master's making, the Bible says, no small profit from her. And Paul kept following Paul and Silas and calling attention to them. And Paul turned and, and rebuked the demon from her and that ability to, to tell fortune and all of that with her. Well, you, as you might imagine, that made her masters just a little bit upset because they weren't getting any money anymore. So they called the magistrates and they accused Paul and Silas and the Paul, and, and they brought Paul and Silas in front of the crowd and tore their robes and they beat them with, with rods and, and they threw them in jail. And I can tell you that Paul probably wasn't Baptist. Because every Baptist that I know of, he'd been thrown in jail. He's not singing at midnight. Well, that's a little bit of an overstatement. But Paul and Silas in jail, in chains, and they're singing and praising God. Well, here we are in prison. Well, hallelujah, let's just have a prayer meeting. And they started singing. And they sang psalms and hymns voices in praise and adoration to the Lord. And as it turned out, God had it had it set so that at that night, shortly after midnight, there was an earthquake that came. And the earthquake broke the chains that were keeping the prisoners. And the scripture says that in, in chapter 16 that, uh, uh, let, me, let me get back to it, says that, that in verse 25, 
about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing, and the prisoners were listening to them. Well, that's not the only one listening to them. When the, when the earthquake came, and the doors were opened, the, the locks were broken, the jailer awoke from his sleep. And assuming that those who were in his responsibility for care and for security were gone, he drew a sword, planning to take his own life. Somehow, in the, maybe the dim darkness of other fires that were, and torches that were lit, Paul called, saw him and called out and said, Do yourself no harm, for we're all still here. This man had been like the prisoners. Most assuredly, he had been listening to Paul and Silas. He had been listening to their psalms of praise to their words and song of of adoration to Jesus for His power, to God for His glory. And He saw this manifestation and interpreted it to be a, a, a manifestation of God's power. And He looked at it, convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Whether the, the question was ever spoken, what will I do with Jesus? What must I do with Jesus? That, that word that they're spoken was impressed upon his heart, convicted by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he heard him. It pricked his heart, and it convicted him. It brought about the awareness that he was lost, that there, he was in a condition that if, if he left this earth, that he would walk into, would not walk into the presence of God, but would walk into, a pre, into, into eternity lost and separated from God. And that compelled him to ask the, to answer the question with the question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? The Bible says that Paul and Silas took him home, or he took them home, and he shared the gospel, and, and he and his household saved their wounds and bandaged them. And he awoke the next morning as a saved individual. You know what? When it comes right down to it, there's really only two answers to the question. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do? You're either going to receive Him and trust and faith and obedience, or you're going to reject Him. Because it really doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter whether you say, you know, I'm not going to do it now. I'll do it later. It doesn't matter whether you say, well, you know, that Jesus thing, that's not for me, as though that absolves you from that responsibility. The Bible says that, that God has elevated Jesus' place of authority and made Him Lord over all creation, over everything. And therefore, it is necessary that all of creation bow before him in obedience. And one day, every knee will, there's going to be a, a one day when there's a lot of bowing going on. It'll be too late. What will you do with Jesus? Will you receive him? Will you trust him as Savior and Lord? Or will you, like the answers that Herod and Pilate and Judas, go in different ways, all did the same thing. 
they rejected Jesus. You say, well, I tell you what, I got you over a barrel. I'm not going to choose. Can't make me. You know those children, don't you? You can't make me choose. I'm not going to answer the question. The lack of an answer is an answer in itself. We receive Him or we reject Him. The only two answers. If you've not received Him, then I would simply ask you to listen to that knock on the heart, uh, your door's heart, the heart of the, anyway, in your heart. My tang's tangled. That's the Holy Spirit calling and, and telling you that, that what this crazy preacher said is true. And you have a decision to make. And your eternity depends on it. You say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. I'll do it this afternoon. You may not have this afternoon. You can't go back and do it yesterday. But you can do it now. Because it's what's offered to you. You have today. You have now. This is the hour. This is the time of salvation. If you've not trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, I implore you to respond to the Gospel. The good news that Jesus left heaven, divested Himself of all that He was as Holy God, came born of a virgin, lived a life like yours and mine, died a death that you and I were supposed to die because of our sins. He paid the price for us. And He rose victorious over the sin and grave so that we might live forever and walk in newness of life. The Bible says if any man is He's a new creation. All things past, all things have become new. Let's pray. I pray the words that have been brought forth today. Father, I pray that the reading of your word has touched the hearts of those who are here. Father, there's some who, who do not know Christ Savior today, who Jesus died for my sins and I His death is sufficient for me to live and walk in new life. Have your way. Speak to our hearts. May your people hear or be